0: Everybody, welcome to the export. I'm Revan X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka yeah. Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I am sure is starting the campaign for Derek Henry to officially become the new owner of the Houston Texans. How you doing today, Ethan?
1: I'm good. Uh, found out, I guess, yesterday that my son looks exactly like my wife. So, you know, that's exciting to an extent. Uh, but yeah, I'm good.
0: Yeah, I mean, because she's due in January, right?
1: Yeah, it's either. So, she'll either have the baby in, late like, December or early January because she's going to have to be induced.
0: Oh, dang. Well, it's right around the corner. I'm still so happy for you guys. And hopefully you can, you know, give your wife can give birth to the next great Ravens linebacker.
1: Hey, I'll take that or Titans running back, one of the two.
0: I mean, I look both at those positions, both teams have produced some great ones. So I think it's going to be fun. Speaking of Ravens linebackers, of course, we are going to talk the Roquan Smith trade as well as grade the other trades that took place before the deadline. We are also going to look at the recent controversy surrounding Joshua Primo and Kyrie Irving because it has been a hot mess. And then we're going to close out the show with my predictions for this weekend's crown jewel pay-per-view but before we get to any of that please sure to check out the export.net our repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our youtube channel entitled the x report so since most of the first portion of this episode has been spent talking about defense let's keep that going with the college football player spotlight you and i both love defensive linemen and this week that spotlight is going to be on clemson junior defensive end miles murphy third in the acc with five and a half sacks and fifth in in the acc in tackles for a loss he's getting a lot of buzz as of late and could potentially end up as a top team top 10 pick there's always teams looking for pass rushers. So, in your opinion, who do you think will probably be the best fit for them?
1: Um, it's really hard because, like you said, any team could be in the need for pass rushers. I'm trying to think of the teams that I know that are potentially in the top ten to choose from. You, uh, you want me to go first? Yeah.
0: Okay. So I'm going to go with the Houston Texans. As of now, they're slated to have two first round picks. And you and I kind of talked about this last week about if they should go quarterback if they end up with the first overall pick. And honestly, I think they would be better suited going the defensive side of the ball. So if they can have Miles Murray kind of slip to Murphy, kind of slip to them towards the latter half of that uh, top 10, I think that that'd be a really good fit. Especially because, I mean, how can you be a Lovey Smith run defense with no pass rushers?
1: You know what? I actually agree with you, because I forgot about the whole Lovie Smith aspect of it all. And we all know that like he has the running back that he wants in Damian Pierce. And the offense, he's never had like a super explosive, super extravagant offense. But he's had great defenses. And I think offensively, you can actually build on what they have with Davis Mills, Damian Pierce. Yes, we know that Brandon Cooks should have been traded. Probably this our own trade deadline. Absolutely. But he didn't get traded. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a agree with you with the Texans.
0: All right, but yeah, we'll definitely get to Brandon Cooks' who's non-trade and other things soon. But let's go ahead and recap Week 8 around the NFL. My Baltimore Ravens defeated the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 27-22 Thursday night football. The Broncos went in London 21-17. The Dolphins beat the Lions 31-27. Vikings beat Cardinals 34-26. Cowboys beat the Bears 49-29. The Saints shut out the Raiders 24-0. Falcons win an overtime thriller against the Panthers, 37 to 34. Patriots get back on track, beating the Jets, 22 to 17. The Eagles destroy the Steelers, 35 to 13. Tennessee Titans edge out the Houston Texans, 17 to 10. Seahawks beat up on the Giants, 27 to 13. I'm sorry. Uh, 49ers continue to prove that they own the Rams in the regular season, winning 31 to 14. Washington Commanders come back against the Colts, 17 16. Sunday night football the buffalo bills get the win over the packers uh 27 to 17 and then the browns in their losing skid to defeat the Bengals, 32 13 monday night football uh we both finished the week with an 11 and 3 record so clap clap to us and who screwed us the raiders the Bengals, and then because i picked falc no because i picked panthers and you picked jags those were our losses so not a bad week. And speaking of bad weeks, not the worst week in terms of injuries as well. Unfortunately, these next few do hurt. Bucks lose outside linebacker Shaq Baird for the rest of the year with the torn ACL. My Ravens lose wide receiver um, Rashad Bateman with a foot in- injury. Uh, Michael Thomas, wide receiver for the Saints, is headed to IR with head coach Dennis Allen. He does not anticipate him playing again this season. And then my main man, Jamar Chase, is out for the next four. Three to five weeks with the hip injury. Now we already saw the how the Bengals' offense looked without him Monday Night Football. But how worried are you for the Bengals with Jamar Chase out?
1: Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna say I'm in a medium level worry because the reality is, is, yes, we know Jamar Chase is all world, but they have other weapons like they have T Higgins, who is a great. Receiver in his own right. They have Tyler Boyd, a guy that could um, step in to take the number two role. I think the only concern that I do have is that this injury came right when the Bengals were starting to get things put together and started back rolling, and they were looking like the offense that we saw last um last year. And how is it? How um are they going to keep their momentum? With him being out, and then are they going to regain that momentum when he comes back?
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I don't think it's too big of a deal. Like I, like you mentioned, if they didn't have T. Higgins at least or Tyler Boyd, I think I'd be a little bit worried. But, I mean, luckily they're not putting him on IR, so there's, there's a chance he can come back a bit sooner than expected. So that's a plus. I mean, everybody's probably thinking the sky is falling just based off that Monday night game. But, I mean, they're going up against the Panthers who don't have that strong of a secondary. I think that that could be a bounce-back performance. And then they got a buy after that. So I think that they'll be fine. All right. Let's go ahead and look at our top five takeaways of this past week. You can start us off.
1: All right. Um, number five. Um, I'm going with the king, Derrick Henry. He looks like he's regained his form. I know earlier in the season, he, a lot of people, including myself, were starting to get worried. Like, hey, has this workload and has age caught up to him? And honestly he's he slowly progressed and then this past week he owns the texans like you said and he put up another 200 yards
0: i feel you all right mine is also about a running back and i'm going with the las vegas raiders josh jacobs and i my takeaway was josh jacobs value to the raiders is even bigger than we originally thought i mean josh jacobs has had some games where he's absolutely dominated and more times than not when he plays really well the raiders pull out a win however Against the Saints in that shutout, he only rushed for, what, 43 yards, which is easily his lowest total of the season. And it ends a streak of him having over 140 yards these past three games. I mean, the Raiders obviously have to get back on track, but it's clear that they cannot be one-dimensional. I get it. You get Hunter Renfro. You got Devontae Adams. That's great, but if you can't run the ball, the Raiders are going to be in big trouble.
1: Um, my number four, um, and it's kind of like a jokey one, but I I wonder is there some validity to it? It is Call of Duty on Kyle Mary's brain. Um, for you guys that aren't gamers, um Kyler Mary apparently had a clause to his contract earlier in the off season that got removed. We're talking about him studying film and the source reason was because he spent too much time playing Call of Duty. Well, this past week The brand new Call of Duty released and it's just a joke that came out with people saying that Kyler Murray is 0-1 since Call of Duty is dropped. So, I thought I'd poke fun at that and put that in my top five.
0: You know what? I'm not saying that that theory is wrong. Because I could see it. I mean, I don't know if you uh, watched any of the Vikings-Cardinals games, but after he got picked off, Patrick Peterson was, like, joking about him, like, playing video games. It was funny. Uh, Yeah, no, I could see it. I will say this, though. I'm really excited for Hard Knocks to get kicked off just because I'm interested to see what's going on in that locker room right now because I know they can't feel settled. And it'll be interesting to see the dynamic with everybody in Cliff Kingsbury, especially because it seems like his job may possibly be on the line. Um, but my number four also pertains to a quarterback, and it's Carson Wentz. And uh, it's Carson Wentz is a big performance away from Tyler Heineke to losing his job. I know that he's supposed to be coming back within the next few weeks after suffering an injury. But truth be told, it seems like the Washington commanders, the whole squad rallies around Tyler Heineke, the fans rally around, uh, I'm sorry, Taylor Heineke. And Carson Wentz is just kind of there. And I think that especially with this most recent win against the Colts where he led them on that comeback drive, I mean, I think it shows just the chemistry that he has with his teammates that Carson Wentz has not developed yet, and I don't even know if he will have the chance to. The Commanders have a lot of other problems outside of just quarterback and Carson Wentz, but I will say this. He's got a hard job. He's got a hard time getting his job back. Um, for
1: me, my number three. And my number three and my number two are actually going to come from the same game. But my number three is the Chicago Bears offense isn't as bad as I think people put it out to be. Like I know that they, or at least I'll say this, they're making steps in the right direction. Um, and it's hard to say that when you look up, you lose a game to the Cowboys, forty-nine to twenty-nine. But I'm think I'm looking at the latter number. The Chicago Bears put up 29 points against that tough um, Dallas defense. And Justin Fields was 17 for 23 for 151 yards and two touchdowns, no interceptions. Granted, you would want his passing yards to be up, but that was a high completion percentage, and he didn't have any picks. And then you look at um, the running back, Khalil Herbert. Mm-hmm. Man, put the 99 yards exactly on 16 carries and had a touch. And, like, when you look at it, and now with the addition, I know we're going to get to it later, but with the addition of Chase Claypool, and you might have given Justin Fields a guy with, like, real number one wide receiver potential, and a guy that you can't say, like, hey, he might be covered, but he can make a contested catch. That might turn the Chicago Bears offense around.
0: All right, just to pay devil's advocate, do they have a better offense than the Green Bay Packers?
1: You want the truth, in my opinion?
0: <laughs> yeah, the truth. What, what do you think?
1: Yes. Like, because the thing is, in my opinion, outside of Aaron Rodgers and because of the, the receivers around him, he has to perform like Aaron Rodgers. But to me, Um, Aaron Jones, he's had splashes, but he's underperformed. A.J. Dillon has underperformed. Like, the receivers, we know the issue with the receivers. I think you add Chase Claypool, granted, yes, he can make boneheaded plays, and he hasn't been consistently great, but I think he might be. The change of center, I think is going to help him out a lot. So, I'm going to go with Yes.
0: I don't, it's tough because I think that Aaron Jones, I don't even know if I'd say he's totally underperforming. Cause I look at it like this in terms of quarterback, I would take Packers running back. I would still go Packers cause Aaron, AJ Dillon has totally underperformed. He's been disappointed, but I mean, Aaron, uh, Aaron Jones has been pretty solid. He's what fifth in the league in rushing. I can live with that. And then, um, receivers yeah with the chase playpool pool addition I would go I would go pack I mean not Packers Bears but offensive line wise I mean both of them have been bad but I David Bacciari is still better than anybody that the Bears have so I think I'd give the edge to the Packers but I do think that Long term not even long term a few weeks from now that answer could change especially as Justin Fields gets more chemistry with his guys because I mean he already has it with Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool could kind of step in and take a bigger role but it'll be interesting to see I mean they play again within the next few weeks but. We shall see how that turns out. Uh, My number three is, I know it's still early in his career, but I still don't see what's so special about Trevor Lawrence. Even when he was at Clemson, everybody was talking about him as if he was the messiah of the quarterback position. He was a combination of Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Brett Favre, all the greats, and I have yet to see it. Like, I get it. It's his second, uh, second season, and he's shown some flashes, but I just, usually with other young quarterbacks, who well, you get here so much hype about, you kind of see it a bit. It's like Andrew Luck. I'll be the first to say I don't think Andrew Luck is as great as people make him out to be, but he had moments, especially in the clutch, where I was like, okay, I understand why everybody's so excited about his potential. But with Trevor Lawrence, I, I just haven't seen it yet. And maybe it's the pieces around him. Maybe it's coaching. I don't know. But I just, I've been very disappointed by what I've seen from him through the first year and a half of his career. I
1: see And I definitely agree. It's like you think about it. You think about Peyton Manning and the great quarterback that he was. Like, yes, his rookie season was really pedestrian, but it was like once he got into his second year and beyond, that's when he started to become Peyton Manning. And Trevor Lawrence shows last his show classes that early and earlier game, but now it looked like he's come back to earth and was the same quarterback that he was last year. So I definitely agree with that.
0: All right, what's your number uh,
1: two? <laughs> my number two, and it's going to be about the Dallas Cowboys. I think it is officially time for of the Dallas Cowboys, your name's talking Pollard, running back one. Great. And the, starter, and the starter for that team. And the reason being is because that offense with him in the backfield has just a completely different dynamic. Um... Like, yes, Ezekiel Elliott, he he is able to get yards, and he is still, he isn't as productive as years past, but he is able to be productive. But I think that he's like, I'm trying to think the best way to put it. Ezekiel Elliott is the definition of death by a thousand cuts right now, whereas he's going to get the rock a lot of times, and his numbers are going to kind of look good, because of the volume of carries that he has. But then you look at Tony Pollard, and he's like a flash in the pan. He had, like, this man had, this past game, he had 14 carries for 131 yards. Like, and you think about it in the context of a Dallas Cowboys offense that's run heavy. He only had 14 carries. And when you look at it, when Zeke is there, normally you will see... Zeke has close to the twenty carries, and Tony Pollard has like ten, and their yards per and their yards are kind of averaged out. I think that if they were to, and I understand, like they they they're looking for a receiver. They their O line is improving, but they have injuries. But I think if you're able to add that like speed element as a starter in the backfield, it could significantly help their offense a lot.
0: I agree. I mean, I said it a couple weeks ago that I thought it was about time to give him the reins. I mean, this past week was just another example that, like, he's just so explosive. Like, and you made a good point about it. Like, maybe not have him take, you know, 25 carries. Like, still kind of split it up a bit, but give him more than Zeke because he just has that explosiveness to where, as you mentioned, Zeke can kind of, like, wear you down as the game goes on because he's still a bigger dude Well, you need those first and second down plays you need a big you need somebody just to break off a big run that's where tony Pollard could come in i think that would make a lot of sense all right um, uh, my number two this goes back to one of your guys A.J. Brown has cemented himself as a top-five wide receiver this season. I mean, everybody knew before the year even started that he was top 10, maybe at worst top 12 or 13, but, I mean, he's been terrific. I mean, we talk a lot about the Steelers' secondary, and rightfully so, because it sucks, but just the way that he was able to get those three touchdowns and all of them contested. Probably my favorite one was the third one when he pointed out, <laughs> was that uh, Mike Minka Fitzpatrick? And I think it was, uh, was it a Keller Witherspoon? It don't matter. Like, it, it's just so great to kind of see him flourish. Because no offense, but I mean, the the Eagles are a more pass-happy offense in the sense of he's going to get more touches. He's going to get more opportunities. And it's so cool to see them fully entrust him to be their biggest playmaker in the offense. So he's, he's definitely top five this year.
1: Um, it's funny that you went with A.J. Brown because A.J. Brown was my number one um, and all I'm going to say is A.J. Brown is him yeah. and as a Titans fan to see what he's been doing for the Eagles and what he did this past Sunday it's like all I can think of is you have one job like we're because my this is my whole concept is like we're five and two Without a real, true number one wide receiver, we could have potentially been six and one, maybe seven and oh, if we had AJ Brown and Derrick Henry still. Potentially. I think it's a slim chance because I do think that the talent around, like those guys, is still like needs development. But to see the, like, drastic impact that he's had on the Philadelphia 76 76- I was about to say 76ers. That's how you know I'm a basketball fan. But the Philadelphia Eagles offense in one season, like, that shows you how great of a, how great of a wide receiver that he was and that they should have resigned.
0: Yeah, especially because looking back on what he got, it's nothing compared to what a lot of other guys got. Because I think he might be making 20 mil. And, I mean, you look at what some of these other cats got over the offseason. I mean, it seems like a bargain, especially for the what he's been able to produce in Philly. So, nah, AJ's been balling. Uh, and then my number one, can we finally chill out on some of the hype surrounding the New York teams? Like, if I don't like I said, I don't know if you watch much of the Jets game, but I mean... Zach Wilson threw for over 300 yards. Yes, give him credit for that. But they also hardly got any of their run game going. It just shows that Brees Hall was really the explosive piece of that team. Because they have a solid receiving core, but without a run game to get going as well, it's hard for them to really do anything because it puts the ball in Zach Wilson's hand. And let's be honest, he's not the best decision maker in the league. And then on top of that, looking at the Giants, I mean, the past... Two games prior to the Seahawks game, they skated by. Baltimore messed up. More specifically, Lamar messed up. Two foot turnovers with less than two minutes to go. Still pissed off about that. And then the game before, they just happened to make – the perfect tackle at the one yard line to stop the Jacks from scoring the touchdown. Like I'm not trying to take anything away from the Giants and the Jets from what they've achieved, but I'm just not. I'm not ready to call them a serious contender yet. I think that they're still both. They both still need to work on some things in terms of shoring up their rosters and becoming more consistent before I get that excited about them. So everybody just, just chill out. Like they're good. They can be good, but let's not act like they're some Super Bowl contenders. They're not that good yet. But, yeah, that's my number one. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to our most impressive players of the week. Mine is Derrick Henry. Rushed for over 200 yards, two touchdowns, making it the fourth straight game against the Texans where he's had over 200. I mean, I have a hard time going anywhere else. And there were some great games, but four straight 200-yard games against one team, its its that's pretty special.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going Derrick Henry. Like you said, a 4 straight two-hundred-yard games against one team, um, big tying, tying, um, having the tie for the most two-hundred-yard games in a uh, in the NFL history at all, and also becoming the, the leader in touchdowns for the Titans in the history of the team. I gotta go with Derrick Henry.
0: Yeah, that's pretty remarkable because, I mean, the Titans have had some great backs in their history. Uh, Defensively, I'm going Seahawks linebacker Uchenna Nuoso, a free agent acquisition. Uh, He was a former Los Angeles Charger, and, I mean, he's really stepped up to give them a pretty solid pass rush, Uh, have five tackles, two sacks, including the strip sack against the New York Giants. Played a big role in keeping that offense in check. Uh, For me,
1: I'm going with Minnesota Vikings linebackers and Darius Smith, like – like that man balled out, and I know I, I know I kind of talked a little trash about Kyler Murray, but when you look at his stat line, I can understand why Kyler Murray had the guy that he had. This man had seven tackles, three sacks, and four tackles for loss, and a pass breakup. Like from a defensive standpoint, he filled the stat sheet. Like the only thing he missed was getting a forced fumble. Right.
0: Yeah. No. It's it's crazy because. Nobody really talks about how good of a season Darius Smith is having, but he's been one of the top linebackers in this league. And, I mean, kind of makes me a bit bitter that it didn't work out with him going in Baltimore. But, I mean, I don't mind him playing with Patrick Peterson and Neil Hunter. He, look, he looks good in purple. It just could be a little bit of a darker shade. So, that's a good one. Um. All right, most disappointing player. I don't have a player. I just have a unit overall, and I'm going the Bengals' defense. First things first – Everybody knows if your defense is going to have a good game, they have to stop the opponents on third down. They did not do that. The Browns were 8 of 13 on third downs and overall had 24 first downs. Then you factor in the fact that they allowed 30-plus points. Amari Cooper had over 100 rushing I mean receiving yards. Uh, Nick, well, Nick Chubb been giving everybody over 100 yards, so it's fine. But still, just everything else outside of Nick Chubb was a bit ridiculous. It looked like the Bengals weren't even trying.
1: For me, uh, I was disappointed. It's tough. I'm going to say, I'm honestly, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to say the Titans. And this is weird because they won the game. And I understand the standpoint of uh, we didn't have Ryan and Hill. And we had Malik Willis in the quarterback, and he really only threw the ball 10 times. Right. But hey, we won by the skin of our teeth against the Texans. Like, if Derrick Henry hadn't gone supernova, who knows what would have happened?
0: Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, because that last second touchdown by Damian Pearson and then. It would have been interesting had te- the Texans gotten that offside kick to see if they would have won. But, yeah, I it's the AFC South is just very weird right now. Like, it's just you got the Titans who look competent and everybody else is just kind of there. It's, it's wild. Uh, rookie of the week for me, I've been wanting to give this man this award, but he hadn't done anything up until this point. But, finally, Ravens tight end Isaiah Likely. Is my rookie of the week after both Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews went down Thursday night football, Isaiah Likely came in and stepped up, led the team with six catches for seventy-seven yards, and had his first career touchdown. I don't think Mark Andrews is going to miss Monday's game, or at least I hope he doesn't. But either way, I feel like Isaiah Likely is going to—he's going to become a more prominent part of the Ravens' offense, and I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I'm actually in
1: agreement. Like, when you, because I didn't watch any other game, but like, I saw um, Mark Andrews, John Shy, baby moves out. And once I saw those no offense, I kind of was like, okay, this might be an end for Baltimore. Because, like, unless one of y'all, I was like, unless one of y'all running backs go crazy, I just, the passing attack with Mark Andrews out it's tough. And then I looked up and I was like, oh, and I remember watching him in the preseason when the Titans played, and he was, like, cooking in the preseason. And I know me and you talked about him. And I'm like, oh, okay, so he just liked it all for real.
0: Yeah, it's so nice to see him. And he was blocking pretty well. So I'm excited to see what happens with Isaiah Likely. Of course, Mark Andrews is the man. He's the guy. But it's always nice to see, uh, see the young buck moving. But, all right, we talked about trades a lot. Now it's finally time to get to him. We're gonna start grading some NFL trades because it was way more trades than I thought it was gonna be. But it was like a lot of people who I didn't expect to be moved. This one, not too shocking. Um, 49ers send running back Jeff Wilson to the Miami Dolphins in return for a fifth round pick. I guess one to beat. Um he has familiarity with Mike McDonald. I mean Mike McDaniel, uh former OC of the what's it called? Of the 49ers. They lost Chase Edmonds in a trade that we'll get to in a minute. I think it's fine. I mean, you can't really trust Raheem Mostert. So, I mean, it gives him a nice change of pace back. So, I give it a B for both sides.
1: My um, grade. Yeah, I think I give it a B, too. Um, I think, like you said, they lost Chase Edmonds and Mike McDaniel. He just loves getting his former players, which I don't. I don't follow him for because he – he knows they fit his game. Um, I definitely think going to, it's going to it's gonna be an interesting move just with how the offenses look with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek and Tua. And if they're able to get some form like they don't have to go berserk every week, but if they're able to get like a steady running game, I think the Dolphins could be like a problem in the postseason.
0: Yeah, I think that I think so for sure. Um, and especially if they can stay healthy. They they have a shot. All right, uh the Indianapolis Colts, they send running back Naheem Hines to the Buffalo Bills in exchange for running back Zach Moss in a sixth round pick that could become a fifth. At first, I like this move a lot more when I first heard about it than I did now, but right now I'm caught I see it kind of as a C. Because now the Bills have all the same type of running backs. They're not the biggest guys. They're not the most ferocious runners, but they're good receivers out of the backfield. That's fine, but I don't think that it's going to help the Bills take pressure off of Josh Allen. And, I mean, if they really want to commit to Josh Allen kind of being that dual threat, leading the team in rushing and receiving, I mean, passing yards, okay. But I don't love this move that much, so I'll give it a C.
1: Yeah, I think I'd give it a C too, because, like you said, this is – you essentially – like, everyone knew that the Bills were really – they really wanted Alvin Kamara. And, um, and the entry with Alvin Kamara is he's just as good of a runner as he is a receiver out of the backfield. Yeah. Like, even he is small in stature, he's a guy that you can hand the ball off to twenty twenty times a game and he can pound you out and get y- and get tough yards. Um and when you have when you bring in the Hyes, this is not him. Like he he's kinda a util- he's kinda a utility nice fight player where he can I think you can flex him out in the wide out a little bit, but he's better he's more of a swing pass, scat back type running back. And I think this is like when you have the aspirations um, to be a team that goes to the Super Bowl, I think one of the things you need is um, versatility, especially offensively. Because once you get to the playoffs, teams are going to lock in and try to take away the things that you're successful at. So teams are going to lock in and try to shut down that passing attack. And we know that there's going to be hard to do because they have Josh Allen, Josh Allen, who's an MVP candidate. You have Stefan Diggs, who, in my opinion, is a top five wide receiver. You have Gabe Davis, who's ascending as a top a top 15, 20 S wide receiver. You have Dawson Knox, who can consistently make decent plays for those guys. But what happens if you go, if you have another game where – the weather conditions aren't as great. And, yes, I know Josh Allen is a quarterback that can make throws in bad weather conditions. But what if you need a crucial drive to where you don't necessarily want to risk an interception? Are you going to run Josh Allen the whole time? And if so, you're going to risk injuring your MVP caliber quarterback. I think from the standpoint of trades for running backs, in the NLC, ALc East, the best trade was the Jets going for James Robinson. Because yeah. I think he would have been the guy that would have benefited the Bills better because of his play style.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the defensive side for a minute. And that is the Washington Commander sitting cornerback, William Jackson III, to the... Pittsburgh Steelers sending him back to the AFC North and it's a pretty rough solid deal the trade for Jackson involves a conditional six round pick in 2025 being swapped for a conditional 2025 seventh round pick I mean I'm not gonna sit here and act like William Jackson is the best corner but I mean if you can trade for a starting caliber corner for a pick that's not gonna affect you for two years even if the contract is pretty hefty, I'm going to consider that a win. So, overall, I'm giving that a B for the Steelers. I mean, I'm sure they watched that tape back against Philly and saw how bad they were getting cooked and then thought back of how they were getting cooked against the Bills and how the uh, what's it called? How the Browns were cooking them when they played earlier. I mean, it's been a lot of cooking going on against the Steelers, which is something they're not used to. So, getting a guy like William Jackson can help redeem that. So, I'm going to give it a B.
1: Yeah. I think I agree with you with B. Um, Like you said, to get a starting level corner, like he isn't going to be like a super household name, like he isn't going to be, unless, you know, he might elevate his level of play, but he's a guy that you can put out there and you can have faith that, hey, he's going to make plays. So I think I'll give it a B as well.
0: All right, let's go back to offense. And more specifically, speaking of Steelers, they send wide receiver Chase Claypool to the Bears. I think... There was so much speculation about Claypool getting traded. I just didn't connect the Bears being one of the teams to do it, but they did in exchange for a second round pick. I like I I like the trade. I give it a B minus. I think that of course it obviously, you know it upgrades the Bears receiving group, which is something they desperately have needed. Uh, Darnell Mooney is fine, but they have literally nothing else around him. So getting him there and, like I mentioned earlier, kind of allowing him time to get chemistry with Justin Fields is good. But it's like, what Chase Claypool are we going to get? Like, if we get a Chase Claypool that has a change of scenery and is productive and kind of, you know, is grinding, I think he could be really, really good and become their number one wideout. But if they don't get that and they kind of just get the goofy Chase Claypool that has done nothing this year, I think that it's gonna be rough and they're gonna kinda of wish they had that second round pickback. But all in all, I give it a B minus. Uh, I give it I
1: give it a I give it a C plus. Kind of for the reason that you said I think I would grade it. I think if we look at this trade at the end of the season, depending on what Chase Claypool we get, I would grade it higher. But just because we don't know, and he hasn't, he's shown flashes, but he hasn't shown consistency of being a number one. And even though I do think that it's going to help improve the bears offense just because he's going to add, like, he can make contested catches. He can add a vertical dimension to the offense. Um, But he just isn't consistent. So I'm going to
0: say C-plus for now. All right. Continuing on with wide receivers and one that still don't really make that much sense to me. The uh, Atlanta Falcons have sent wide receiver Calvin Ridley to the Jacksonville Jaguars for a, uh, for draft conditional draft picks. Um, One of those is a 2023 third round pick. I mean, a 2023 fifth round pick and what could become a 2024 second round pick. I don't, not like it because okay let me let me rephrase that I don't dislike it because it's a receiver like I understand what the Jags were doing but why would you trade for a receiver who's not even going to play for the rest of the year like I just feel like if I'm giving if I'm giving something up especially at the deadline like I want somebody who can make an impact because if that's the case why not just wait to the off season where he's probably going to end up being a free agent anyway um or at least he had like a year or two left on his deal so I that's why I don't love it. I give it a C plus. The potential is there for him to really take over in Jacksonville and become uh, Trevor Lawrence's second best friend, because of course the first one is Travis Etienne. But right now, it just does not make a lot of sense to me, which is why I can't give it higher than a C plus.
1: Yeah, I'm in the greens, and like you trade for a guy that's not going to play at all this year, like that doesn't make your team better, like. And, if I'm not mistaken, because of his suspension, it's not like he can come to the facility and, like, work out and things of that nature and build chemistry with your quarterback. So, I give it a C as well. And it's also just funny because of the correlation between the Falcons and the Jags with Calvary. He literally got suspended from betting on the Falcons against the Jags. So, like, it's also funny.
0: That is that is so wild. Well, maybe maybe the, that'll be the change of scenery he needed. Because, I mean, prior to all this happening, you know, with the suspension, everybody was thinking he was going to get traded anyway. And I think there was a trade on the table sending him to Philly. But the Falcons knew he was going to end up su- getting suspended. And so, in good faith, they didn't do it. Which, it worked out for the Philly because they ended up getting A.J. Brown. Uh, so, all right, let's go ahead and move on to the defensive side of the ball. The Broncos making a move, trading uh, outside linebacker Bradley Chubb to the Dolphins for a package that includes a 2023 first-round pick that Miami acquired from San Francisco, as well as running back Chase Edmonds. I, I have to break it up in two parts. For the Broncos, I give it an A-minus. While it's going to kind of suck losing Bradley Chow because he had been having a pretty good year. I mean, Baron Browning was looking pretty solid um, as an outside rusher. And then you're supposed to be getting Randy Gregory back from injury soon, which is nice. But more importantly, you get a first-round pick back. So you kind of get back what you lost in the trade uh, for Russell Wilson, which let's be honest, they really need to use that first-round pick on something. So I give it an A- for them. And then Miami, I give it a B. Um, he ended up signing the extension with them, which is locks him up for the next five years, uh, 119 mil overall, 63.2 guaranteed. That's a lot of money for somebody who has been injury-prone in these past couple of years, which is why I don't give it a A. But I think that it does help them out in the short term, really provides them some much-needed pass rush and kind of will help them contend with the Bills, who we already know is the best pass rushing team in that division. So I give it a B for Dolphins, A-minus for Broncos. Uh
1: I think I give it a, in the, I think I give it an A to the Dolphins simply because I think this move, in a lot of ways, could be very similar to the move that the um, Rams made for Von Miller. Granted, I don't, I know that the Dolphins' defense wasn't nearly isn't nearly the same caliber as the Rams' defense was last season. But I think the thing of it is, is when you're in a window like they are, where they have two, they have Waddle, they have Tyreek, um, they have Mike Bussiki, and like their offense, when everyone's healthy, it looks like it can win you a championship. Like you have to pull the trigger and make a move, um, and to help you out defensively, like you said. Bradley Chubb, he hasn't stayed healthy, but when he is healthy, he can be a problem. So I give it an eight just from the standpoint of like, if you making, if you're looking at this deal from like a two a two year window, I think it could be great if he if he stays healthy. Um, uh, from the Dolphins, from the um, from the Broncos side i give it a B minus because it's kind of like, to me, and the reason I give it a B minus, not necessarily isn't what they received in return, but it's, to me, it felt like they waved the white flag. Yeah. Um. Like, I understand that their season hasn't gone the way that they planned. You know, you signed Russell Wilson, you have the Broncos, Nation Let's Ride, and, like the whole ass concept of like, being able to make it to the playoffs. But in the, the season didn't start out the way that you wanted to, but you still have a lot of season left. And apparently Russell Wilson was injured, and you still have potential for him to get better in their offense. And it's kind of just like you basically foregone, like, The white flag of the future of these seasons, and really the future of other seasons, based excuse me, based off of this because they are going the way that you guys expected it to go.
0: Yeah, when you put it like that, I I do agree with you. I mean, like I said, like, I I like that they got the one back because, but then if you do beg the question of okay, let's say the pass rush falls off the face of the earth. Well, now you're trying to replace Bradley Chubb when you could have had Bradley Chubb. And maybe it was a contract thing as well, because, like I mentioned, as soon as he signed, he kind of got that contract extension for over 119 mil. So maybe that played a role in it. But I, yeah, I don't, I do, it does kind of feel like they're giving up a bit. And I mean, I guess their mindset might be that because they kept their receivers and Jerry Judy and KJ Hambler, they're hoping that the offense is going to kind of get it together. But. Yeah, not you mentioning my aces. I'm going to take that A away. I'm going to keep it a B, but I don't think they're going to get the A minus. But all right, let's talk about a deal that I know you and I both were very confused when we first saw it. And that was the Detroit Lions sending tight end uh, TJ Hawkinson along with a 2023 fourth and a conditional 2024 fourth round pick to the Lions, I mean, to the Minnesota Vikings, while the Lions will receive a 2023 second and a 2024. Third round pick. Uh, you never see players traded in division, so that that's what shook me at first. But then the fact it is your best offensive player. I know Amon Ross Saint Brown bought out last year, but injuries have kind of kept him quiet. Uh, DeAndre Swift hasn't lived up to his potential, and you trade him to a division rival, like that's insane to me. And so in the and I understand the compensation is nice, but for the Lions, I'm giving it a hard D plus. Just because, if you want to talk about waving a white flag, that's this move really made me feel like they were just giving up on the season. Because if anything, if the Lions felt like they were going to be contending, you would think they'd be trying to bring people in to get better. And so, one hundred percent getting a D plus for this. But if it's the Vikings, I'm giving them an A plus. I love this move, and honestly, I think this gives them a top three offense in the NFC. Actually, I think it gives them a no. I said I think it gives them a top three offense in the NFL. Period. I think this is a terrific move. You get him on the same field as Dalvin Cook, who's been healthy. Jay Jettis, who you already know my feelings on him. Adam Thielen, who is the man. K.J. Osborne has been a really solid third uh, wide receiver. Kirk Cousins actually hasn't been playing too bad since that Eagles game. I love this move for the Vikings, so they 100% get an A+. Yeah, um, from the Vikings standpoint,
1: they they committed highway robbery. Oh, for sure. Um, like you said like you have all of those weapons already and you make like Eric Smith he's an okay tight end but like he goes down and you essentially get a guy that could be a pro bowl level tight end with two with a definitive top ten wide receiver in Jay Jellas Jay a Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver in um Adam Thielen. And a top five running back when healthy and in Dallas. Like, if you're playing, man, this is a team that everybody should choose to play, pick, play with for, uh, from an offensive standpoint right now. For sure. Maybe besides the Eagles.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, Kirk Hudson will be annoying because he can't run. But, I mean, you get the ball out quick enough, it's going to be fine. But, all right, last but certainly not least. Now, this is my favorite trade for obvious reasons. The Chicago Bears send linebacker Roquan Smith to none other than my Baltimore Ravens in exchange for a 2023 second-round pick, fifth-round picks, as well as linebacker A.J. Klein. Obviously, this, this gets an A for me because now we shore up our linebacker position and we pair him with PQ, who Patrick Queen has been having a really good year. You put him in with arguably – no, let me not say arguably, a top four, yeah, yeah, four, top four middle linebacker in this league, and the Ravens' defense has progressively been playing better, we're getting healthy, I know there's a lot of stuff going on with the offense right now, but by golly, as a Ravens fan, I've just grown to appreciate having a great defense, and Roquan gives us a great defense, of course, I want him to sign with us and be a Raven for the rest of his career. But even if that doesn't happen, we get him on a rental for like nine games and the playoffs because we're going to make the playoffs. Then we'll see what happens after that. And if he does sign somewhere else as a free agent, we get a third-round pick back for a comp. It, it's a beautiful trade. So, yes, it gets an A+. Plus. I'm so excited for Monday.
1: Uh, yeah, I think for the Ravens, it's, it's, a, it's a home run. Like me and you have talked numerous of times off air, and I think you brought it up a couple of times on air how the Ravens just need two dynamic linebackers for their defense to work the way that it needs to work. And, you know, you had PQ. He's good, but it, he he's not the superstar level linebacker, but now, you, like you said, you add Roquan Smith, who like it's a stat that I saw that I know you saw, like his current projection, it's only been one other linebacker in the history of the NFL to put up the numbers that he's put up in their linebackers' loose. So yeah, like he's just a great player. He's From awesome. the Bears' standpoint, I hate it, because it's like, I wish, I want to see the Bears get better. Hmm. But I also understand it's like, work on my computer, so you might as well just try to get as much as you can for them when you can. So I get the the sentiment, but for the Bears, I mean for the Ravens, yeah, I think it's about to get real interesting in Boston.
0: Oh, most definitely. Also, another part of this is so in order to facilitate the trade, the Bears are still taking on majority of his contract. So I think we're only going to be paying him like 500K or something like that for the rest of the season, which is another major steal. And so I'm, um, it's it's all great here. I will say this though, it does make the move for Chase Claypool a bit better because they get a second round pick back. So that's nice. But yeah. Thank you, Bears. I appreciate it because um I thought we would have to give up more than a 2 and a 5. I thought it was going to cost way more, but I'll give this up every day for Roquan Smith. So, I'm excited to see him in Baltimore. I'm so, oh, I can't wait for Monday night. But, all right, those are our uh, trade grades. Let's hand out some midseason awards. Uh, We're about, what, heading into week 9. A lot of teams have played eight games or just a Seven games, and normally this would be around midseason, but now within 17 games in a season, which still don't make no sense to me. We've seen quite a bit through the first half of the season. So let's go ahead and hand out some awards. Starting off with coach of the midseason. I know I ragged on his team a little bit ago, but I still cannot deny the results. Brian Dayball, first year head coach with the New York Giants. I mean I can say what I want, but I still didn't project them to have the what six and two record that they have now. I mean, that's still pretty impressive. It's he's really turned the corner with Daniel Jones. This defense is playing a lot better than I thought they would. So, if I had to pick a coach of the midseason, it's got to be Brian
1: Dayball. Yeah, I'm in the greens. I was about to say I really want to give it as a tie to both New York coaches, but I'm going to just solely go with Brian Dayball.
0: Yeah, I I like Robert Sala a lot, but I'll say this: I think that I had I'll say this for me personally, I had higher expectations for the Jets than I did the Giants this year, because I felt like oh, the yeah. Jets had a more a more talented team. So that's what that's what did it for me. Uh, come comeback player of the year, I feel like we probably gonna have the same player, but who you got?
1: Comeback player, I'm gonna let you go because I'm trying to remember who Der- I had.
0: Derrick Henry. For me, it's, it's easy. Easily Derrick right. Henry. Um, As we all know, suffered that injury, missed the last eight games of the season last year, and still finished, like, top ten in rushing yards and touchdowns. The man is a machine. Comes back, and, I mean, just did what he did against the Texans, over 200 yards, top five in the league in rushing. It's, it's got to be Derrick Henry for me. It's,
1: it's funny that the reason I didn't say Derrick Henry was because he came back last year, and I was like, it, it kind of, like, Threw my
0: mind off, but after you brought it up, it's definitely there. here hear me? All right, offensive rookie. I'm going Brees Hall. If this is like I said, I think last week, I think Kenneth Walker is going to win offensive rookie of the year. But I mean, Brees Hall, when he was healthy, was insane for the Jets, and you can tell not having that explosiveness has kind of knocked them down a few pegs. So by far the most impressive rookie to me, offensively, that is.
1: Uh, I'm actually going to go to a tie. I'm going to go Breeze Hall
0: and Damian Pierce. Damien Pierce, I'm sorry. That's fair. That's fair because Damien De- Pierce has been having a good year too. I think it's just because the Texans aren't winning. Nobody's really talking about it. But I, I think this is where we're going to differ in terms of defensive rookie of the year. I know everybody loves the sacks and the interceptions. Those are sexy. But – Devin Lloyd, linebacker for the Jacks, has looked really, really good. I mean, has over 60 tackles um, overall, two picks, six pass deflections, has been really, really good in coverage. The only knock I really have against him is he hasn't created many turnovers, but, I mean, nobody else on that defense has either, and it's nice to see him step up in such a big role, especially because linebacker is such a difficult position to thrive at as a rookie. So I'm going to give him a nod.
1: Um, a couple of guys that i want to say obviously i want to say hey cut saying um what's the seahawks i think Tariq wallen That's the, who I want the
0: to corner yeah i and almost re- went with him too
1: and the reason i want to go with him is because like to me it would stick with set people apart with these kind of awards is I know they're individual, but it's also, like, I feel like it's some of the teams essentially play a part in it. And, like, out of all of the rookies that are making, like, impacts defensively, his team is the only team that's, like, actually winning football games. And especially when you look at it from the standpoint of, like, they're leading their division. Nobody expected the Seahawks to be good. And he's played a big part of the reason why they're good because of the way he's playing on the defensive side of the football so I gotta go
0: with him that's fair he was definitely up there he was my he was a very close second for this award all right now defensive player of the year or of the midseason it's a couple guys I could have went with but none of them are Micah Parsons. Micah's just been going crazy. I mean, eight sacks, which is one of the tops in the league, nine tackles for loss, five quarterback hurries, put two pass deflections, Uh, forced two fumbles, had a fumble recovery just this past weekend that he returned for a touchdown. I mean, Micah Parsons is doing a bit of everything, and it's really cool to see him thriving as primarily a pass rusher because there were questions about if he was gonna be a pass rusher or go back to linebacker. Honestly it doesn't matter because Micah's just been balling at every position. So I gotta go with him.
1: Yeah. It's Michael Parsons. I don't have to say any anything else.
0: Alright now this is a more open ended one. Who's your offensive player so far?
1: Offensive player uh AJ Brown.
0: That's a good one. I'm going to go Nick Chubb. I I know I bashed the Browns, and I'm not going to stop bashing them. But I said coming in that he was going to lead the league in carries, and I – Um, Actually, he has done it. I mean, everybody knows that the Browns are going to run the ball. More specifically, Nick Chubb is going to do it, but nobody has been able to find the recipe to stop him. And I have to give him his credit because I know people look at the Browns' numbers and they think, oh, they're doing numbers. They're doing great. It's because they average over 200 rushing yards a game, and more than half of them come from Nick Chubb. So I'm going Nick Chubb. All right, MVP, who you
1: got? This is the hard
0: Yeah, because I I, I didn't go with who I think a lot of people would say.
1: I'm going with Jalen Hurts.
0: That's fair. That's fair. I mean, 8-0 looks real good doing it through the air and on the ground. I'm going to say Patrick Mahomes. And I know that everybody had expectations of, like, the Chiefs offense going down a peg. After Tyreek Hill is gone, and yes, they have less explosive plays, but the I think Patrick Mahomes is really showing how great he is because now he's just spreading the ball out. Like, yeah, Travis Kelsey is getting his, but I mean, we've seen some great things from Juju Smith Schuster. We've seen some from MVS, and we about to start seeing some for Gadarius Tony once he gets activated. And I just I have to give a lot of credit to Patrick Mahomes because even without having to change the style of play of just f it Tyreek down there somewhere and having to be a bit more refined. He's been able to make those adjustments and I got to give him a lot of credit for that. So if I had to pick an MVP, it's, it's gotta be Patrick Mahomes. But Jalen Hurts was, a, was up there too. Cause I mean, you can't deny the success and only, he only has like two picks this year. Yeah, only two. He's played a really good season. But all right, let's go ahead and run through this quick game of believable or buffoonery before we make our game picks for week nine, starting off with another quarterback, and that's Tom Brady, who, let's be honest, has not been playing well up to this point of the year, um, following the loss to the Baltimore Ravens. Ryan Clark said, Tom Brady is no longer the greatest quarterback in sports. Ignore the in-sports part, we, I think we understand what he meant, but... Believable or buffoonery? This season is costing Tom Brady his goat status.
1: Uh, I'm gonna say buffoonery. And me and you both, when me and you say the same thing, we both don't, aren't fans of Tom Brady. Um, but I think when you look, for one, this man is what 45.
0: Yeah. And this is honestly.
1: This is his been his worst season at age forty five, and you have you played what 19, 20 years in the NFL, and you have seven championships. Nah, one bad season when you're considered by many well past your prime, and you got seven Super Bowls. It is it pains me to say it because I personally don't like Tom Brady and I don't think he's the goat. I don't see these times in his legacy.
0: I don't think so either for everything you just said. Yeah, it's it's buffoonery. I mean, if one uncharacteristic year just negates everything you did in your whole career, we wouldn't have great players. Cause everybody goes through a down year. Like everybody has a year that wasn't great. Cause for example, if people want to down Jordan's years with the Wizards, they could do that. The year that the the first year LeBron came to L.A. and the Lakers didn't make the playoffs, they could bash him. Kobe, his last couple of years, like, that's stupid. I, I dis, That's buffoonery for me, too. But continuing on with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon believes that if Gronk were to come back, he could save the Bucs' season. Believable or buffoonery? Getting Gronk back would get the Bucks back on track. I'm calling buffoony because their problems go well beyond not having a Hall of Fame tight end.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I'm calling buffoonery because it's like they have problems, multifaceted problems everywhere, yeah. and just adding one guy isn't going to. Changed it,
0: in my opinion. Yeah, me either. All right, continuing on with quarterbacks in the NFC South, Baker Mayfield, who apparently has recovered from his ankle injury he suffered from a couple weeks back, but that has not exactly changed the Panthers' plans at quarterback. Uh, reportedly, Baker Mayfield has officially been benched by Pan- uh, the Panthers as they move forward with former XFL quarterback PJ Walker. The team confirmed Baker has accepted the backup role. I mean, it's not like he really has a choice. But believable or buffoonery? Baker Mayfield is done as a starting quarterback in the NFL.
1: Believable. Um, yeah, I think it's believable. I mean, it's also funny. I don't know if you saw it, but apparently it was a video of Baker in practice. And you know how you do the – they have the – Yes, um, I
0: know exactly. you talking about the throw it in the little basket thing, the yeah. net.
1: <laughs> I saw that earlier. Yeah. So yeah, like that video alone proves that he shouldn't be a starter because it's like every starter that I've seen, like they drop dimes and those things, and he mm-hmm. looked like he was—he looked like me throwing the football.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I—I I find it believable too. It's kind of like what we were talking about with Matt Ryan last week. Like, I, I think he could get a job as a backup, but starting, nah, bro, it, that's that's over. Uh, It's pretty quarterback heavy with regards to these believable or buffooneries. Ryan Clark had some more to say. This time about second-year quarterback Justin Fields, to which he said, outside of Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields is the most explosive athletic quarterback we have with the football in his hand. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not a fan of Josh Allen, but I think that he is way more explosive than Justin Fields, so I'm calling buffoonery on that.
1: You said, they said Justin Fields is the most explosive?
0: Second, outside of Lamar Jackson, yes. you
1: mm. Yeah, i going to have to go with Josh Allen. Justin Fields is good, but he hasn't. I think he's the most, I think he's the second most elusive quarterback behind Lamar, but explosive, no.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, he's, and he's athletic. I will give him that, but. Yeah, no, I, I'm still going Josh Allen. All right, this is last but certainly not least. Cooper Cup, who suffered a slight ankle injury uh, during that 49ers game. It doesn't seem to be long-term, but he attributed some of the blame to turf fields, to which he said, I know there's stuff going around the league right now. There are some issues. Hands down, we should be playing on grass. That's all I'm going to say. He's not he's not the first player to kind of denounce playing on grass. Uh, turf fields especially after the injury to sterling shepherd the non-contact injury where he tore his acl while running around on the turf so believable or buffoonery the nfl should do away with turf fields
1: believable it's been an ongoing history of turf fields causing injuries to players um so yeah and i understand and the thing is like you have alternative ways to grow grass for fields. Like the Arizona Cardinals, their field isn't turf. But they I remember I think it was a video I watched on Instagram where they literally roll their grass in and out and grow it in different places and put it on the field like every every game basically. Because they you know they're in a dome and they have a natural grass field. So you can't grow natural grass right. inside of a dome. But I think, like, there's ways that you can get all of these fields to have natural grass. And, I mean, yeah. So, I, I'm going to say believe.
0: Yeah, I'm going believable on that as well. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our Week 9 game pick, starting off with tonight's game between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Houston Texans, kind of reminiscent of the current World Series. I know this is so hard to pick, but, by golly, something tells me the Eagles are going to win tonight.
1: Yeah, the Eagles
0: are going to win. Minnesota Vikings versus the Washington Commanders. I got Vikings.
1: I got Vikings.
0: Cincinnati Bengals versus the Carolina Panthers. I like P.J. Walker, but I think the Bengals win. I
1: got Bengals.
0: Buffalo Bills versus the New York Jets. Jets, I hope you had your fun in the sun because now the Bills are going to beat you up.
1: Yeah, I think the Bills are going to beat them by at least. Two
0: touchdowns. Indianapolis Colts versus the New England Patriots. Honestly, this was really hard. I'm actually no. Nah, I'm gonna say Patriots. I I trust their. I trust them more. So I'm gonna go Patriots.
1: Yeah, I'm going Patriots too.
0: Las Vegas Raiders versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. On paper, this should be an easy win for the Raiders, but I don't trust them to do much. But I'm still gonna pick them.
1: I'm picking the Jazz. I mean Jazz.
0: Uh, let's see. Uh, yes. Uh, Miami Dolphins versus the Chicago Bears. I got Dolphins with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Kill having at least a hundred and seventy receiving yards and at least a touchdown.
1: I got Dolphins.
0: Uh, Green Bay Packers versus the Detroit Lions. I would love for the Lions to get back on track, but I got Packers.
1: I got. Hmm
0: after trading TJ Hawkins and I can't pick y'all I got Yeah, exactly exactly I like their running backs though and I like Amon Rob but their defense is so so bad Uh, Los Angeles Chargers coming off a bye facing the Atlanta Falcons I got Chargers but I think it's gonna end up being a close game
1: I got Chargers
0: Seattle Seahawks taking on the Arizona Cardinals uh, Seahawks beat them early in the season I think they get the sweep I got Seattle I got
1: Seattle too
0: Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Los Angeles Rams, a battle of two of the biggest disappointments in the league. I got Bucks.
1: I got Rams. Fair.
0: Uh, Kansas City Chiefs hosting your Tennessee Titans Sunday Night Football. I'm sorry, but I got Chiefs.
1: I do too. Don't feel sorry.
0: All right, and then last but certainly not least, my Baltimore Ravens are headed to the Superdome to face the New Orleans Saints. I got Ravens.
1: I got Ravens.
0: All right, let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookies we are watching. Starting off for me offensively, I'm going Ryan Tannehill. We have not said his name about anything aside from like when we were talking about Malik Willis getting the start. Like he's done practically nothing. And I mean,. Him doing nothing still has them at five and two, which is nice. But let's be honest, this is gonna be a shootout. And so for that to take place and for the Titans to have a chance, Ryan Tannehill is gonna have to make some plays.
1: It's funny we got the same person for the exact same reason.
0: All right, defensively. Rokon Smith, his first game in Baltimore. He said he's gonna play. He's picking up the playbook. I'm so excited to see what Roquan does. He's going to be wearing 18 now, which is going to be a bit of an adjustment. But like he said, it's a new start. So I'm excited to see him start some things up against the Saints.
1: Um, for me, shoot, I'm going to go. I don't, I don't, I don't want to keep copying your playbook, but I'm kind of going to have to. Because I do I do want to see what he's going to do his first game in the Boston uniform.
0: I'm so excited. I I'm I don't think I've been this excited about a Ravens edition in a minute. I'm oh, I just want to get him signed. We'll deal with all the Lamar implications and stuff later. But let's sign Roquan Smith. Let's get that taken care of. All right, rookie. Uh, we're watching. I feel like we're gonna differ on this one. I got Romeo Dobbs. I mean. The line, Detroit Lions secondary has been terrible all year. They, they fired their DBs, coach. Maybe that will make a difference. Probably not. But since the Green Bay Packers did not make a move at the trade deadline, Romeo Dobbs is going to be the guy, even if Alan Lazard is played. To be fair, he's probably had the best. Actually, I would want to say statistically he's been their best receiver. And I think that this could be the best game of his career thus far.
1: Oh, uh, For me, I'm going same game different team, different side of the ball. I'm going Aiden Hutchinson because I think the only way that you can hinder a guy like Romel Dobbs going for a career high against your secondary is if you successfully rush and get sacks on Aaron Rodgers and hits. and I think that he's going to do it, I still think they're going to lose, but I think he's going to have a big game.
0: Yeah, because the... Packers offensive line has been so so bad this year. It's actually ridiculous how bad it's been. All right, um I got a 2 for 1 for the team I'm calling out. It's the Rams and the Bucks. I mean, like I mentioned, they have just both been massive disappointments this year. The Rams 3 and 4, the Bucks 3 and 5. But luckily the NFC has been kind of a hot mess all across the board. So, this win could really help propel them on a playoff run. And, I mean, especially in the NFC South, because Tampa Bay could win this division, like, winning nine games. It's that bad. So, I want to see the best football that we've seen so far from both of these teams because it's been been ugly for both of them, and, like I said, very disappointing.
1: Team I'm calling out, I'm calling out the Bengals. I mean, like I stated earlier, they were starting to show signs, gaining momentum and being a team that we saw that made us, a surprise Super Bowl run last year. I know that Jam- Jamar's down, but you guys still have very capable weapons on of offense, and I think y'all should still be able to win games.
0: Most Def. Alright, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, starting with our Mambas of the Week. Out of the Eastern Conference, who you got?
1: I think it should be only one person, and they man, man's name is Giannis Antetokounmpo.
0: I actually didn't go Giannis this week I'm gonna go Donovan Mitchell Spider's been balling I know last game everybody really was talking about Darius Garland and how You know he made the shots at overtime To kind of get them that win But I mean He has been Since coming to uh, Cleveland Even with Darius Garland out Spider has been balling So I'm gonna give him his flowers Alright, Western Mamba Who you got?
1: Western Uh it's hard because there's been a lot of people playing good in the West. I think I'm going to have to go. I don't want to go him because I don't
0: like him, but I'm going to go Luca. Luca has been great. I think what that was – he set the record last game with seven straight 30-plus games, right, to start <clears throat> the year? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. I'm going to be a bit different. I'm going to show some love to Shy Gilgis Alexander for from the uh, – Oklahoma City Thunder, Uh, back-to-back 34-plus point games, nearly had a double-double in both of them. Also have been playing really, really good defense in in the past couple of games, has five steals, three blocks, and has done so shooting over 55% from the field in both games. I mean, he's been balling, and I know nobody's really talking about the Thunder, but he is reminding everybody that that is his team. All right, who's your rookie Mamba of the week?
1: Rookie Mamba? I mean... Can't go wrong with because you just been playing for
0: that's true. I I almost went Polo, but I was like, nah I'm going to give him a break as well. I'm going to go Keegan Murray. Um, since making his first start in that Grizzlies game. I mean, he looked really good, dropped 18 points. And since then, he's been kind of on an upper trajectory, excluding uh, yesterday's game against the Miami Heat. But has scored double-digit points in all of them, shooting a pretty nice percentage from the field. Has played some solid defense as well. I think he's on his way up to being one of the more respectable rookies. But, every, I mean, but as you mentioned, Paolo has been – been tremendous so far so it's hard not to give him his credit all right let's go ahead and do takeaways from this week ethan what are your top three biggest takeaways from this past week of action
1: top three biggest takeaways um currently now this is my number one um i think i'm gonna hop on your bandwagon what you said last week but desmond Bain definitely should be most improved player of the year and if he continues to play, he should definitely be an all star.
0: Man, I, I would love for him to be an all star. Unfortunately, you know how those games are pretty much just popularity contests, so that might that might kind of dissuade him. Um, next up for my number three is Tyler Harrow. Is showing early why he should be a starter. I mean, Jimmy Butler doesn't play last night no problem he leads the team with 26 points and adds 12 boards not to mention three blocks and when you think of tyler Hero, you don't necessarily think of him being a defensive aficionado but he's been playing really really well with the increased minutes and then the game before that um against the kings dropped 34 so i think he's showing more and more why a he got his contract and b why he should be a starter before the year is up uh
1: number two um and you just mentioned him as your mama of the west. Shy Hughes Alexander has slowly and quietly become one of the best bucket getters in the NBA.
0: Yeah, he has been going crazy. Um, my number two. Dang, it's hard because I don't. I, this was gonna be my number one, but it's fine. Um. Yeah, the Houston Rockets. Don't get me wrong. I like Jalen Green, and I think that the potential is there. But the rebuild is going to take quite a bit longer than we thought it would. I mean, Jabari Smith, as a, in his rookie year, has been essentially a non-factor. And, I mean, it's still very early on, but you kind of expect more out of a guy you draft three overall. They're currently on a four-game losing skid, actually five-game losing skid. And then it's just – it's not rough. It seems like there's just not much chemistry within the team, and I think they have to improve that before they actually have a chance to compete.
1: My number one um, is your guy Russ. I think, I think um, him being in the start, not in the starting, but the bench role, I think this revitalized to on the Lakers. I don't know how long it's gonna last. Um, because, like, it's a long season, and they're currently right now, since he's moved to the bench, I think they're 2-0. Yeah. And, but I don't think there's going to be a constant. So, but I think that at least from the standpoint of if he's going to stay on the Lakers, him moving to the bench, and him accepting it might have been the best thing for him. I'm not going to say for the Lakers as a whole, but for him specifically
0: yeah I think I'd have to agree with that um I mean you and I both talked about it last week Russ is not the biggest problem in LA the problems go well beyond him but it's nice to see him kind of in this role and kind of embrace it um even though still think he needs to be traded but it is what it is uh number one I gotta go back to Luka I mean the Mavericks are wasting Luka Dunchik like i I felt like coming into this season, they had a chance of being better. And right now, I mean, four and three isn't bad, but it's just looking at just the overall numbers. Like, he, the help is hardly there. Like, Christian Wood is averaging 17.3, which is the second most on the team, and that's not bad. But it's such a stark contrast between Lucas, 36, and then Christian Wood, 17.3, and then there's Spencer Dinwiddie, who's averaging 16.7. Like, I understand this is an offense that runs through Lucas, so of course he's going to have the bulk. But, I mean, there's just no – you cannot succeed in today's NBA when you have – Four players with Tim Hardaway barely averaging double-digit points. You have to be able to spread the ball out more, and the Mavericks have yet to do that. So that's my third biggest takeaway. But all right, before we get to the serious stuff, let's talk about some money. Bohan Bogdanovic, who was traded uh, to the Detroit Pistons this offseason, signed a two-year $39.1 million extension with Detroit. So congratulations to him on getting the bag. Someone who will not be getting the bag anymore, at least not from Brooklyn, is Steve Nash, who was fired from the team. Um, And it reportedly came out they mutually agreed to part ways, but that's always what it says. Reportedly, but prior to his firing, um, Steve Nash told Sean Marks, team's GM, the players were not responding to me, which they're not. Uh, So first things first, do you feel like Steve Nash was doomed from the start in taking this job, because I do.
1: Uh, I think to an extent I do. I think because he, like, they. The I don't think from the aspect of like the um, Nets being devoid of talent.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Not. Was is managing the personalities of the players? Like KD, he has. He's one of the more vocal and big personalities and obviously uh, Kyrie we know what Kyrie well we don't know what Kyrie is and that's the big thing is we he it's like a different day something different comes out about him so I think that's been the biggest thing is like trying to manage those guys and their big personalities.
0: Yeah, that's why I agree with you. Like, it's it'd be one thing if he started off somewhere like the Pacers, like a team that has some talent, but they're still a ways away. Him going to the Brooklyn Nets was essentially a team that everybody expected to be in the finals immediately. You pair guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving together, and then you trade for a dude like James Harden. You're expecting immediate success, and that is the complete opposite of what they've gotten. Then you factor in the big personalities, and also you're playing in a big market. You're playing in New York. Sure, the Knicks will always be New York's team, quote-unquote, but the Brooklyn Nets, like I mentioned, because they are the better team, they're going to get more media coverage. They're going to get more prime time -time games so when you fail it's going to be under a bigger microscope so like I said that's why I feel like he was doomed from the start I just wish he would have started off somewhere smaller and then kind of worked his way up because it's very rare that first year head coaches go to these crazy big markets and find immediate success it's not it's not prominent um but it seems like the team may have already found his replacement. Uh, suspended Celsius coach Ime Adoka has emerged as the next likely Brooklyn Nets head coach, and his hiring could be finalized uh, as soon as the next 24 to 48 hours. While this isn't confirmed yet, let's say Eme actually does get this job. Do you think he is the right man to bring the Nets back to prominence?
1: Uh, yes. Because, for one, I think a big thing is I think KD and Kyrie respect him. And when you're a guy that, granted, the situation as to why he's leaving the Celtics, we understand that it's a horrible situation, and I don't condone the things that he did. But I think when you look at a guy who... You, he literally went to the NBA Finals his first year as a head coach. And to me, that's something that and you did it with the team that initially in the beginning the beginning portions of the year didn't look like they were even, like they looked like they could barely make the playoffs. But you got them to the NBA Finals. And yes, I know that that Celci's that team had a lot of talent. But so does this Brooklyn team. Yeah. And so yeah, I can see personally, I and I think K D and Kyrie from a coaching standpoint, I think they do respect him um a lot.
0: Yeah, no, I feel you. I I think first things first. The Nets aren't going to go anywhere if they can't stop anybody. They have been playing terrible defense. And one of the biggest reasons for the Celtics' success last year was they were a terrific defensive team, especially um, at the turn of the year, like starting in January to the start of playoffs. They were, I want to say, first in defensive efficiency, if I'm not mistaken. And I know that it takes it might have been a bit easier because they had a lot of younger players on the team. So it's easier to kind of get them to buy in. That may be a bit harder with a veteran led team like the Nets, because you got to try to get them to change their game a bit, but maybe if he can kind of get them to understand that it will lead to more success, it could lead to changes with guys like Kyrie and Kevin Durant, or they could just be stuck in their ways and it's going to be a hot mess. And they going to end up blowing a whole roster up within the next year or so. Honestly, I could see both happening, but I'll say this with regards to M.A. I do think that he would be a solid fit, um, especially because, I mean, technically he's a suspended by the Celtics, as, you know, Woj was saying, so he could really go anywhere else and work. Um, it's not like the league suspended him or anything. So, I mean, he he's essentially a free agent because you and I talked about this when all this first happened. Like, I don't think he's going to coach the Celtics again because you were only there one year and then you get suspended for a year. I don't think that it makes sense to have you come back. If anything, just get a fresh start for both sides and move on and act like nothing happened. But that's my opinion. We'll see when things become official, probably within the next week or so. Uh, moving on, injury news. There are some tough ones. First off, uh, Portland Trail Blazers will be without their star point guard, Damian Lillard, for the next week week or two after sustaining a calf strain and then James Harden is going to be out for at least the next month uh after he suffered a right foot tendon strain. Overall, how big of a loss do you think it is not having James Harden? Though the 76ers were 4 and 5, he was putting up really good numbers. Not on um, defense, of course, but you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be tough. Because I think them losing James Harden, it might actually in the immediate help them out because they're going to um, they're gonna play a style that they kinda of might have been similar to when James Harden wasn't on the team. Yeah. Where they're gonna give Joel the ball. He's gonna be the focal point. And you still have Tyrese Maxey who has shown to be a very capable third and second option as a scorer. Um, So I think they're going to be okay. Simply, And they still have talented guys around, even with James Harden being out for a while.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think that they're going to be fine. More so anything like you mentioned with Tyrese Maxey, I mean, I think everyone's just been like, we've seen such flashes of him. It's like most recently in the playoffs where he has just kind of taken over, dropping 30-plus points, being a playmaker, like giving reasons for excitement. And I think that now with James Harden out, I think it's going to allow more opportunities for him to kind of take over those games and show that he can be that dude. So I think that this may be a blessing in disguise for the team because, yeah, not having James Harden will kind of suck offensively. But overall, I think they could prove to be a really good opportunity for him to grow. Uh, But all right, let's get to the serious stuff, starting with the San Antonio Spurs, who typically nobody has much reason to talk about. But they were in the news this week after they announced that they waived uh, last year's 12th overall pick, Joshua Primo. Initially, when it came out, people were kind of confused by it. Uh, Primo came out uh, and said that it was revolved and he wanted to take time to focus on his mental health. You and I talked about it. We respected that your mental health is important. That goes for everybody. But then a real story came out, and it was announced that uh, the Spurs' release of Joshua Primo was due to multiple alleged instances of Primo exposing himself to women. And not just women on the outside, no. They were women who worked for the Spurs, one of which is actually suing Primo and the team. Uh, The former uh, psychologist for the team has filed a lawsuit against Primo and the Spurs, and she alleges that the Spurs ignored her repeated reports of the indecent exposure it's a lot going on she said she and apparently she was telling them the team about this back in january and yet nothing was done and i think overall it was like nine women who like accused him of exposing himself so just overall ethan do you think first off you and i both agree what he did is freaking gross yeah. Do, do you think that he has squandered his own NBA opportunity? Do you think another team is going to touch him after this? Because I don't. Um, I'm going to
1: say. Yeah, no. I don't think. I don't see it. I think it's a diff. It's, yeah. Because I was about to say yes. But. I think with the number of times that it's been reported that he did it, that's what I'm gonna say no. Like I can I hate to say it this way, but if it was like a one time instance where he did it, I can see a team being like, Hey look, bro, we are we to see you somewhere, we're gonna get you some help and we're gonna give you a shot. But if you you he reportedly did this like nine times. There's no way I think a team is going to be willing to accept that. So, yeah, nah, I think he's going to be
0: overseas at some point. Yeah, and then also, I hate hate to put it like this, but it is the reality of sports. He's not good enough of a player for a team to take the risk. Like, we talked about it with the Deshaun Watson thing, which is a different, you know, situation but similar in some ways. Deshaun Watson was a multi-time pro bowler led the league in passing yards the year before all this went down. We don't agree with the Browns getting it, but if you look at it from a business and like keeping people's jobs perspective, you can understand why it happened. Joshua Primo is not one of those guys. He averaged 12 points per game, which was solid. But I mean, the Spurs weren't doing anything last year, so it didn't make much of a difference. The only players who really got attention were DeJounte Murray and um, Keldon Johnson. So, Josh Primo, especially with another case of like it being MA Adoka, like it was only his first year of being in the league. And you already blew it this fast. Like, forget the creepy, perverted aspect of it. It just shows so much immaturity to be doing this like this. Cause I know he's like 19 or whatever, but that's still old enough to know better, to not expose yourself to somebody who does not want it. I don't I don't understand what's so hard about this. And like I was I told you, like it pisses me off that he tried to like spin his release as a way to be like, oh, I want to work on my mental health. Like, no. You wanted to be – you were a sick dude, and you got caught, and you do – I agree you need help, but you need to also be up Obviously, this Like, it's gross. So, yeah, no. He's he's done. He. I, I agree with you. He'll be playing overseas somewhere, but he ain't coming back to the NBA. It's, especially because everything that happened with the uh, Browns and everything that happened with Deshaun Watson, of course, it's not in the same magnitude, but how much the Browns have been getting obliterated – In the media by fans by everybody i don't think a team wants to take that on it's not worth the headache speaking of a headache Kyrie Irving you touched on it a bit ago about how Kyrie is always in the news for something and this time he's definitely not in the news for something good um last week he posted a link to a documentary on amazon which reportedly had a lot of uh anti-semitic overtones And when questioned about it in the press conference, did you watch the press conference where he, him and the reporter got into it? Okay. Well, yeah, it's, it's very Kyrie Irving-esque. Essentially, he's saying just because he uh, tweeted it out, that does not mean that he was promoting it Um, in one quote he told the reporter don't dehumanize me up here Uh, just like you when you put your stuff out there that doesn't mean you're promoting it and of course the reporter was like I am trying to promote it and then Kyrie tried to spin it and said change your life bro I wish we care more about black reproductive rights and all the things that actually matter than what I'm posting which on that front I do understand there are much more important things to talk about but With the recent anti-Semitic tweets and stuff from Kanye West, it is a very hot button topic. And so just looking at Kyrie on the broader scale with all the shenanigans and questionable thoughts and statements, do you feel like this latest saga is diminishing Kyrie's legacy? Do you think that this is just another blow to an already very complicated Legacy that Kyrie has.
1: I think it's just another blow to a very complicated legacy. um And because, like, if you and I go back to the comment where he says, "Just because I put it on my social media, that doesn't mean I promote." It.
0: But you put it on there. <laughs> just delete it.
1: Like, and yeah, you didn't delete it initially. And to me, the thing of it is.
0: It's, it's different if a regular Joe Blow did that. Yeah.
1: Like if a regular Joe Blow did it, it's like okay, maybe I thought some You could say like, hey, maybe I thought some of the points in this documentary were were interesting, and you can kind of still not promoted, but somewhat promoted. But one year, a um, when you're a famous athlete, one of the top. 20 best players in the nba you have such a huge following and you have um like you're a former nba champion and also like you said like you have this reputation already like bro you you shouldn't have done it
0: no and like
1: Yeah.
0: yeah and then when you are when you send me the video of like richard jefferson talking about it like I don't haven't watched the documentary. I can't speak to the documentary and what it is or is not about because I have not seen it. It's but I'll say this. If everybody and I do mean everybody who has seen it and knows about it is calling it anti-Semitic. I I hate to be the bearer of bad news, Kyrie, but I'm sure there are at least a few anti-Semitic things about it. And, yes, like he said, like there are other things to worry about more so than what you're posting. But you have over, what, two, three million Twitter followers. What you, you're posting is going to get out there in the world. Like you and I, we could post whatever we want to. We might get a couple text messages saying that we wilding on social media. But we don't have as, of the following that Kyrie Irving has. So he can't just post any and everything and not expect it to come back in him. It's it's not – every athlete or star or whatever, when they post stuff, it comes back on them at some point, regardless of if they don't see a problem with it or not. I don't see why Kyrie thought that he was any different. So, yeah, no. I I don't think he's necessarily, like, ruined his legacy just because it's already complicated enough. There are so – I think everybody has an opinion of Kyrie Irving and unfortunately not all of them are good. So I don't think, if anything, this just backs up what people already felt about him. But yeah, that's that. All right, let's go ahead and move on uh, to the Indiana Pacers, who, a team that not a lot of people do talk about, but they have some talent. Uh, one of those really talented players being Tyrese Halliburton, who got a pretty big compliment from his teammate, Miles Turner. He said, I think that Tyrese is an all star level talent. He's going to be a Chris Paul type guy for years to come, lead the league and assist. I'm just happy to be a part of it for the time that I can be a part be a part of this young part of his career he's someone I've been a fan of for a while now um as of a few days ago he's averaging 23.4 points per game 10 assists four boards so believable or buffoonery Tyrese Halliburton is the next CP3
1: I can see some beliefs behind it I mean you missed those numbers and it sounds like a young Chris Paul and um he also just has the personality to where he, from what I've seen, he's just a very calm, chill, collected guy. And I think that he can, I don't know, if you add pieces around the paces, I think he can help guide them to some surprise playoff bursts and then in his latter portion of the career still be a very um, valuable viable um, ball handling, the lead, decision-making point guard on maybe a playoff, a perennial playoff team. So I could
0: see it, yeah. Yeah, I could see it as well. Um, the only difference is, I mean, even when Chris Paul was in the early going of his career was not, like, leading the Pelicans to the playoffs every single season, I think he impacted them winning a bit more. So Tyrese Halliburton can, like, definitively show he's the best player on that team like cp3 did i i think i could see that happening for sure i'm sure he's going to have the longevity of cp3 like especially with that style of play and he can work on his mid-range i think he's going to be around for a long time All right, but talking about being around for a long time, the Miami Heat have not had the start to the season that they would have liked. However, Jimmy Butler says do not count him and his guys out. He said we're still going to win the championship, and I don't care what nobody says. Count us out. We're going to win the effing championship. Neither of us believe that Miami is going to win a ring this year, but – Believable or buffoonery, the Miami Heat will turn it around and be in the Eastern Conference Finals this year.
1: Um, I'm going to say buffoonery because I already have I have the books as a lock. Uh, as long as everyone, as long as people are like. Giannis stays healthy, Drew Holiday stays healthy. Chris Middleton comes back, and he's healthy, and he can stay healthy. Um, but the, team, the other team that they face, I can't necessarily say it's going to be Miami because I think it's going to be – like, I think Boston still has a viable shot to make it back to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think the Knicks, especially if they, like – um, buy into that you make Dolby as the coach, I think they can make it. And I still think Finney can make it. Um, granted, I don't trust Doc Rivers as much as a head coach anymore, but I think that they still have talent to where they can make the Eastern Conference Finals. So, I'm going to have to say for just because I think outside of the books, you have a lot of different variables of teams that can make it.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think that he for sure can turn it around. But like you said, I mean, that other West Eastern Conference spot is going to be tough to get. Because, I mean, right now the East feels a bit more competitive than what the Western Conference is. And, like, it's so early in the season that it's hard to, like, just say the Miami Heat can't do it, especially once they get healthy. But as of right now i think that it's a, it's it's a lot that's going to have to happen for that to for them to make it that far but i would say that they're one of the three teams i could say could do it in a, like between them uh philly and brooklyn and I, I lied four teams i'm trying four, four teams i'm sorry it's boston they're one of the four teams i could see doing it but i mean four that's what a 25% chance that's still very hard and that's not even factoring the other rounds of the playoffs because upsets happen all the time. So I'm going to say buffoonery too. I'm sorry, Jimmy Butler. I still love you. But yeah, I, I don't see that happening this year. All right, something that we could see happening sooner rather than later is the NBA is reportedly pursuing the implementation of a hard cap limit to salary as a replacement to the current luxury tax system that has allowed large market teams to spend massively on team payrolls. So, believable or buffoonery, the NBA should implement a cap like the NFL and other sports leagues?
1: I mean, to me, it really does. I don't see a point because the NFL, like I'm thinking of it from this standpoint, the NFL, they have a hard cap hit but you still see teams make moves and still end up with like really like top heavy teams. Like I think about the Rams last year. Like they had Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, OBJ, uh, Robert Woods, Vaughn Miller, and Donald, and the Ramsey all on the same team. And this year, You still can end up with, and I know they aren't the same, like for whatever reason, from a win standpoint, they aren't the same team. You're still going to have Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, who probably makes the same or maybe a little bit more money than Robert Woods. You can find a way to bring back OBJ. Um, You have Aaron Donald. Yes, you don't have Von Miller, but you have Bobby Wagner in his place. And you have Jalen Ramsey. So, it's like, the regardless of whether you change, the teams are going to figure out ways to do what they need to do, that they feel like they're going to win. So, I'm, from my standpoint, a small a fan of a small, of the, honestly, the smallest market team in the NBA, apparently, um, I'm fine with it because, I mean, as long as, like, I, we have a superstar that wants to stay here. And we have him signed up. And we have rising talent. So, for me, I'm cool with whatever. honestly.
0: I think there should be one. Because I think it kind of levels the play and feel like. I think the Rams are, like, that one outlier. Because what other team, especially with the money that their players are making. And, I mean, essentially the Rams sold they sold for that Super Bowl. And so even though they do have these high-profile guys, because they didn't spend their cap or have the cap to kind of spread out to become more balanced on the roster, you see that they're struggling and they're suffering because of it. And I think that that's why so few teams like actually go that route. Because, I mean, one of the benefits, yeah, draft picks, you can say F them picks all you want to, but you get four years of a player on a rookie deal. So you're guaranteed to spend significantly less money on – Okay, for example, uh, the cor- a cornerback, Kobe Durant, a corner they just drafted. They're spending le- way less money on him because he was like a mid to late round pick as opposed to what they, Darius Williams, who just signed with the Jags, would have got or what they gave, a, of course, a guy like Jalen Ramsey or Troy Hill, who they brought back. So it's much cheaper to go that route and then try to develop guys. And so with regards to the NBA, I do think that a cap would help out. I think it would kind of level the playing field a bit. Cause I mean, you and I talk about all the time with in NBA free agency, like it's just like guys who hardly even play are getting fifteen, twenty mil a year. Just so they can say that they sign there. As opposed to actually uh, opposed to a bit more of a competitive edge. So I I think a cap would help. I mean, I get and plus because the luxury tax, like like they mentioned, like when you're in a bigger market, you get more tax I mean, you have more money to spend on that luxury tax so you can bring in those stars. And so I just think it'd be level the playing field a bit if they did have a cap. But like you said, I don't think it'll make a drastic difference, but I think we would kind of see teams be more cautious with their spending in free agency. and wouldn't just be throwing the money at guys who are just going to be riding the bench like we see all the time. But, all right, let's go ahead and make our game picks before we make our predictions for Crown Jewel. Only two games tonight. One game is actually already in progress. That's the Golden State Warriors against the Orlando Magic. I got Warriors, obviously. I am Warriors. And then Denver Nuggets versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm going to say Nuggets, but I think it's going to wind up being a close game. Oh Yeah,
1: I'm going to say Nuggets.
0: All right, let's go ahead and move on to... WWE's crown jewel. All right, starting off with the Women's Tag Team Championship match between Alexa Bliss and Asuka versus Damage Control. I will admit I have not watched Raw the past couple weeks because of work, and I still haven't watched SmackDown, and it's been a few months for that. But I do have a pick. I'm going Asuka and Alexa Bliss, mainly because they just won the championship. I didn't see exactly how they won it, but I don't think that they would lose it four days later that would be kind of stupid uh undisputed wwe tag team championship the usos versus the brawling brutes i understand that jay has not been acting very oozy lately but i'm still going with the usos because they can't lose the belts until they go up against either the street profits again because apparently they ain't breaking up no time soon or kevin owens and sammy Zayn, which is coming just wait on it uh next up braun Strowman versus almost Y'all know I've never been a Braun Strowman fan. I don't really care. But I do think he wins this match. First uh, pay-per-view match back. I think he gets the dub. Uh, Next up, the OC versus the Judgment Day. As much as I would love, and I do mean love, to see the OC lose this match. I think they're going to win. I'm still kind of confused as to what's going on with the Judgment Day. Like, what is the plan? I'm sure Rey Mysterio is going to factor in somehow at some point. But in the mean in between time, it's a them versus AJ Styles, uh, Carl Anderson, and Luke Gallows, formerly known as Festus. If you know, you know. And I think that with this being their first uh, tag team match, or at least six man tag match since all coming back to WWE, I got the OC. Next up, steel cage match between Karrion Cross and Drew McIntyre. This was probably the hardest match to pick because I genuinely don't know. Karrion technically owns the 1-0 lead over Drew after beating him in Extreme Rules. And I could see Drew winning this next match to kind of tie it up. Because even though I still feel like Shaq Garland in some way is going to interfere, I do think that Drew McIntyre is going to find a way to win And exit the cage. Uh, What happens after that? Who knows. But I do think he wins. Uh, Next up, Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. This was another very tough one because I think they're actually going to have a match. Like, no shenanigans, no frills, no nothing. Which I'm very excited about because I was excited about it when I thought it was going to happen at Royal Rumble. It didn't happen as cleanly as everybody would have thought. But getting it this time around, I think I'm going to go Bobby just because I think that Brock is just going to kind of go about off into the sunset. He just wanted to get his crown jewel check and then he's going to leave again. And so why not have Bobby Lashley win? He's still mad about uh, Brock beating him up before his United States Championship match. Go ahead and flex something. You know, come on. You got it, Bobby. I'm rooting for you. Um, Next up, last woman standing match for the Raw Women's Championship. We have my girl Bianca Belair defending her title against Bayley. <sighs> much as i hate to say i think bianca's gonna lose i think bianca's gonna lose i think i picked her to lose at extreme rules too pretty sure i did whatever it don't matter i i don't want her to lose obviously i'd love for her to win and be champion forever that's a lot not forever but you know for a substantial amount of time i do think that uh yeah i don't think it's gonna happen unfortunately uh and last but certainly not least we have the extreme rules match uh, between Roman Reigns and Logan Paul for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Obviously, I'm going Roman. I don't even know why I side. like I didn't know. Yeah, it's Roman's going to win. I think it's going to be fun, though. And I'm happy that they added a stipulation to it um, because I think that just a one-on-one match, not that it wouldn't be good, but I do think that it'll be more fun to see them, like see the tricks that Logan Paul... And Cole has up his sleeves because one straight up in a wrestling match, he's not going to beat Roman. So I think kind of adding the frills will make it a bit more exciting. I don't think the match is going to be bad by any means, but I do think that Roman is going to come out on top. And I think we're going to see some really fun spots. Because, I mean, who doesn't love seeing good spots? Uh, But those are my crown jewel predictions. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. I know it was a long one. Shout out to you all for bearing with us. Um... As always, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Ethan's not here, so I will say it. Um, go Titans, even though, you know, they're going to lose. Uh, go Tigers, go rooted for memphis and then the squad plays alabama go tigers i'm ready to have some roll tied for dinner i'm talking about this macbook and we're probably gonna lose but i still feel good about us once again thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you all next time